Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Scoops. Great show for you tonight. Election preview. We'll get some predictions from our staff here, as well as from the main man, Dr. Scholl, friend of the program, most loyal listener, him and Phil. Shout out to Phil as well. Uh, Miss Post sadly cannot make it tonight. She's just feeling a bit under the weather, so she did send me her picks. Not going to make any election predictions, though. That's fine. Then we have Dr. Scholl to counteract Mr. Thomas here, but uh, great. Great time of year. You got college basketball coming back. You got uh, election season, college football last month of the season. NFL is about halfway through, so certainly a great time of year. Uh, last weekend in, in football, Ohio State survived against Penn State. Uh, that was a great win. Struggled a bit. That's good, though. You know, I think Ohio State, they, they struggle a bit. You know, they struggle to run. You know, we'll see how it goes against Michigan. I mean, Michigan certainly going to be, it's going to come down to that as it should be. So, Last year, Ohio State got pushed around. Obviously, this year, you know, it's at home. And, you know, whatever team runs the ball more will we'll probably win. That's how it goes. Old school football, baby. So we'll see. But Ohio State escaped. I think the playoff committee did a pretty good job. I think Bama should not be ahead of TCU. But I like that Clemson's ahead of Michigan. You know, you should not reward the soft schedule Michigan. Anybody that plays eight home games really should not should not get the benefit of the doubt. And that includes Ohio State. Ohio State had eight home games as well. Uh, one was Notre Dame, but still, you know, eight home games, and that's just ridiculous. Michigan's even worse. UConn, Hawaii, Colorado State, non-conference games. UConn, Hawaii, Colorado State. In fact, I'll even say if Michigan wins the conference with one loss, I still don't think they should be in, in the playoff. I mean, if you have one loss with that schedule, that's just ridiculous. Uh, Tennessee at one, I'm fine with. They had the best win by far against Bama. Ohio State at two, I'm fine with. I mean, I think they did a pretty good job, but it is early a lot of room to mess it up more. Uh, NFL, not a lot happened. I mean, pick them, freaking pick them. We got this guy in our group, Andy, just keeps pulling games out of his ass. I mean, he had the commanders over the Colts. Just ridiculous. He had the only one to get the Seahawks over the Chargers a couple weeks ago. Only one to get Jets over the Steelers a few weeks ago. Just ridiculous. I mean, the Colts, I'm done picking the Colts the rest of the year. I'm here to playing the Texans, Jags, whatever. Done with them. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Okay, and of course, you have the Bengals, pathetic. Uh, the only, only bright spot off the Bengals losing the Browns is Bengals were one of three teams I had busting. All three teams I said would flop this year are 500 or worse. You got the Cardinals, three and five, Raiders, two and five, and Bengals, four and four. So that makes me feel good. Next week, if you, uh, next week basketball does start for Coach Thomas here, but if we do have a show, we're definitely going to do an election review and an NFL midseason check. So we, we should have a show next should have a show next week, but we'll see. Anyway, Bengals just pathetic. I mean, and Bra- look, Browns have a great roster. They seem to have Joe Burrow's number. Browns' pass rush is very good. Miles Garrett is no joke. But I mean, still, for the Bengals to come out and get down 18-0 like that is just a joke. Of course, Bengals missed two kicks, one field goal, one PAT. Just ridiculous. Uh, it's funny because it starts the game, I was kind of like, eh, Bengals are getting too much hype. I wouldn't, you know, I, my, my Browns' hatred wasn't as strong as it usually is. But once that game got going, I was all in. And, of course, the Bengals got embarrassed. But, you know, as long as the Browns don't win more than two of the next three, I'll feel okay when Watson comes back. Because Watson's not going to come back and be at his peak right away. So I don't think they're going to win six in a row with him. But if they're five and six or six and five when he comes back, obviously that's pretty good shape. But I, I don't think they'll win two of the next three. They got Dolphins, Bills, and, 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 and Bucks. So we'll see, though. That's why they play the game. Dallas, 6-2, halfway through. Got to love that. 
uh, bye week this week, beat up on the Bears. I mean, people are kind of stressed because Dallas gave up a lot of yards rushing. I'm not too worried about that. I mean, Bears were losing. They got down uh, 14-0. So, you know, if, if teams running on you when they're losing by two touchdowns, let them, let them burn the clock. And Bears, all they have is a run game. So, you know, you don't want to see it, but I'm not too concerned about that. Uh, anyway, switching to this weekend, college, kind of decent slate, three ranked matchups, but obviously the game of the year potentially, uh, Tennessee at Georgia, Tennessee, new number one in, in the college football playoff, well, first rankings of the playoff, I should say. Uh, and then you also have L- Alabama at LSU, Bama 13 and a half point favorite. That's That seems like a lot. I mean, LSU struggled in recent years against them, but Bama, I mean, that's LSU's hitting their stride. They They beat the hell out of Ole Miss, so... We'll see there. And then other, otherwise, interesting matchup, Wake at NC State. Wake just got blitzed by Louisville, but Wake had eight turnovers. And Louisville, uh, I mean, obviously Louisville capitalized. NC State has a backup quarterback, so we'll see. Always interesting weekend in college football. You never know who, who will surprise, though. NFL, Rams, Bucks, both teams need to win bad. Both teams need to win bad. Rams 3-4, and four, Bucks 3-5. and five. I picked the Rams last week and picked them. Shouldn't have done that. I changed it because Debo Samuel was out. Of course, that also screwed me with Andy, so whatever. But let's get into it here. So not too much to say politically before the election predictions. You know, the Paul Pelosi attack, I mean, again, just a horrible thing. I mean, no one should no one should have fear of living in their own home. I, even on the, even going out in the street, obviously, you shouldn't have fear. But, you know, this whole thing of, 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 of people being attacked for their beliefs, physically attacked, is just wrong. And, you know, I, I don't I don't really dwell on it too much. I mean, any, you know, I feel like people, of course, the outrage meter like, oh, how could you not like post Paul Pelosi in your Twitter bio? I mean, again, I can't control it. It's a horrible thing. And, you know, obviously everybody should watch their own rhetoric. But, you know, of course, it's taken on a life of its own now. They're saying that any critiques of Pelosi are, are off limits and it's immoral and incites rhetoric and. As the great Dr. Shaw said, who's actually not, but he runs his Twitter account that I think is his from AG, you know, it, it, that whole mindset is how these attacks contribute because the mainstream press will take an idea, an absurd idea like that standard attack ads or, or violence, run with it, and then it turns more people off to them. Well, where do they go? They go to the fringes because they think that the mainstream media is corrupt and biased and out to get them, all true, and then it makes the problem worse. Because again, how it, both things can be true that the attack was wrong and you should stop violent rhetoric and also that standard attack ad saying they need to get rid of Pelosi are fair game, right? The left always talks about how how disliked Pelosi and Clinton are, which are true and rightfully so. They're two, you know, seemingly two of the most uh, insufferable people in politics, but no one gets more hatred than Donald Trump. I mean, by far, by far. You can say it's justified. I don't really agree with that, but you can say it's justified, but either way. No one, no one gets more hatred than Trump. No one has more violence incited against him and his people than Trump, and by far. Literally in 2017, I think it was, uh, I don't know the exact celebrity. I'm not going to misquote, but someone said, when was the last time a person assassinated a president? I mean, think about if somebody said that about Clinton or Pelosi. I mean, you, I mean, you can't even say it right. It's, you can't even say it's anything new because we've all heard it before. Racism, sexism, homophobia. I mean, we already know that, obviously. Or even when uh, Kathy Griffin had Trump's head on a, on a stick or, or decap, decap, decapitated, that, you know, she did take some heat for that, thankfully. But, you know, those in the, in the comedy world and, and, and the elite, elitist world were like, oh, you know, it's just, it's just 
chilling that her speech was stifled about a president like that. So what are we talking about here? And I saw this headline. I subscribed to the Washington Post, which, you know, you, the conservatives can clown me for that. It is good get different perspectives, but the Washington Post, I mean, it, it is almost insufferable most of the time. Uh, but I did it for the police shooting database, and they have some good code articles I read and things. But I'm probably going to lose that hint of the year just because owning the libs is not worth the $5 a month I'm paying for headlines like this. But anyway, it was by this Max Boot, who we talked about on the show before, total idiot. I mean, just, again, it, it just moronic. I mean, he, him and Jen Rubin, it's hard to say which one is worse. I'm sure Dr. Shaw has an opinion. But the headline was, stop normalizing uh, violent political violence as both sides. It's a right-wing problem. And, of course, he cited these quote-unquote studies that show the amount of right-wing attacks and things like that and, and talked about um, – Talked about the percent of Republicans that say political violence is okay. And let's delve into that. I'm not going to get too much into it, but let's delve into it a bit. First of all, the studies cited, who's to, and I didn't read them, to be fair, I didn't read the studies, alleged studies. But who's to say the studies don't already bias what's violence and what's not? For example, the Southern Poverty Law Center calls Focus on the Family a, a hate group. Focus on the family. Okay, so... It, it could be studies that basically what I'm saying is anything the left doesn't like is viewed as violence, right? So how, how can we trust that the studies they cite as, as endorsing violence actually is violent rhetoric? Okay, number one. Number two, perhaps those that – like those on the left who, who got the benefit of academia, corporate media, Hollywood, athletics, everything that goes their way and, of course, the corruption – that's not misinformation because it's leftist politics. Perhaps that's why they don't view political violence as necessary because they're not as desperate because of all the things that they hear that supports their narrative that they think is just natural and that's true because it's, it supports what they believe in. It's what those in power believe in, so they, they, they send it out as true. They send it out as justified and as, and as factual. So, of course, they don't view it as desperate because they're like, oh, see, this is what's reported and it's true. We don't need to – why would we have to fight? Why would we, why would we commit violence against the government when we have – you know, this is factual. And not only that, but uh, the, the rhetoric no, – no one has a monopoly on ignorance. No one has a monopoly on stupidity. No one has a monopoly on extremism, right? Again, no one – Trump has exacerbated that in a bit, and I'm sure anybody would say that in terms of the the like the tone he uses in terms of desperation and I alone can fix it, things like that. But the anti-Trump is the same thing. Trump is an existential threat to democracy. Trump Trump is 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 can single handedly bring down the U.S. government. Trump is Hitler. I mean, is that kind of, again that kind of rhetoric is the same concept, right? Look at look at this this summer again. I'm, my boy Whitlock says this a lot. Lie phobic. Look at this summer in terms of violent extremism, right? Abortion clinics being bombed or vandalized or graffitied, uh, churches being graffitied, things like that. I mean, that, that, that stuff just happened. So even if the numbers are, quote-unquote, more for right-wing attacks, I'm certainly not going to sit here and say that right-wing right -wing attacks are commonplace compared to left-wing violence because, A, right-wing attacks are just talked about a lot more, and, B, the numbers are skewed to say that anything you don't like on the left is... is that you don't like about the left is violence and anything that left wing does left left wing people commit or Antifa commits, for example, is just viewed as peaceful protests or justified rage or things like that. And again, I'm not going to listen to rhetoric at all, because even going back to, to Dobbs, 
the Dobbs decision, right? Headlines, or not even Dobbs, but other Supreme Court decisions. Headlines said, oh, Supreme Court declares war on democracy. And I remember I talked about this previously. A journal op-ed I read said that Supreme Court declares war on planet Earth because it struck down some climate overreach. So again, you know, again, no one has a monopoly on political violence. No one has a monopoly on ignorance or stupidity or, or just uh, desperation, things like that. So if you hear that, just fight back with it, as always, fight back with it. And with that being said, standard attack ads certainly are not violent, and standard attack ads certainly do not make you contri- a contributor to violence. That's the thing as well. If you really want to go after the perpetrators, you really crack down on those actually inciting violence, not those that just say, hey, we want to get rid of Pelosi, or Pelosi's terrible, or, or uh, Pelosi is public enemy number one. Now, obviously, that could be viewed as twisted, but in terms of political public enemy, that's not violence, Okay. And number two, it's just the same thing goes with like election deniers, right? Another article I read in the Post said that like two-thirds of Republican office seekers are election deniers. What was that criteria? Of course, questioning. One of the criteria was questioning the election. Okay, so asking questions about the election makes you an election denier. That's a huge swath of people, obviously, A. And B, that would disqualify many Democrats from 2016 and 2004 when they and 2000 when they questioned Trump and Bush elections respectively. So again, that kind of hyperbole itself contributes to extremism, and it's both sides, right? Every side, this is like the great Brian said, IT Director Brian said when he was on, Democrats especially, but both sides contribute to this. But Democrats say one one election away from utopia. So every election is the most important history of the world. If you don't vote and you don't get your way, democracy is going to end. So obviously that rhetoric contributes to a high-strung environment. And of course, another example of that is the assassination on Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, assassination attempt, excuse me, on Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, which to be fair to Max Boot, he did mention that, but of course was a quick like, yeah, but, and then he went back to his point about saying right-wing extremism is, is a bigger issue. Okay, so that's, that's uh, again, shouldn't happen. No matter who you are, should be safe in your own home, period. But in terms of right-wing violence being more common or more of a threat or saying that Pelosi should be fired is contributing to violence, that only makes the problem worse because you, you draw people further away from you as a source because of your obvious bias and uh, actual misinformation. And, of course, that just means people go to, their fr- go to their fringe corners and who knows what they're hearing there. So. On a similar line, let's go back to Kanye a bit. And, you know, I, you know, it, it's interesting. The Jewish population as a whole is very fascinating to me. I don't know a lot about it in terms of, of you know, voting patterns or, 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 you know, really the history of culture, you know, the culture and things. But it's interesting, for example, well, of course, you know, Trump got blamed from the Kanye thing because Trump always gets blamed. We talked last week about how only right-wing anti-Semitism is talked about, which is also true by far, in, in, in especially, or, or, or if it's by if a hate crime or alleged hate crime or, or hate speech is given by a black person, it's only talked about if it's Kanye or someone who, who fights the establishment. Also true. Uh, but anyway, you know, you, you look at historically pro-Israel presidents, Trump, Mitt Romney, George W. Bush, they received very little Jewish support in the U.S. And so the Jewish political behavior is very fascinating because, again, they, they, they tend to go Democrat and Democrats historically have, supported Israel, not as much anymore. So we'll see if that trend kind of shifts. And it makes sense to extent why they're democratic because you think about, you know, the social justice issues and discrimination is obviously things Jewish people have experienced a lot. 
in, throughout history of the world. I mean, no one has been discriminated against more than, than Jewish people. Going back 3,400 years to the time of Moses in Egypt, right? So, you know, let's, again, if any group knows about discrimination, it's, 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 it's Jewish people. But interesting nowadays, because, and I don't know if this is like this, you know, pre-World War II times or how, you know, how long it's really been like this, but obviously nowadays a lot of Jews are, are, are cultural Jews. So they're not, you know, they're not discriminated as much for their religion, at least by some corners, as for just the alleged power they wield. So it's just an interesting concept all around. And, and one thing I read, and I'm not going to link this article because it is paywalled, and so it's, it's not the point of this podcast, but it is in the journal by Walter Russell Mead. It talks about the U.S.-Israel relationship and basically debunks the myth that Jewish people wield power over the U.S. government because – when the United States passed a resolution supporting the, a Jewish state in 1922, obviously before Israel was formed, it didn't even have the backing of most of the Jewish leaders at the time. Okay, and when when Congress voted to limit Jewish immigration around the time World War II started, Jewish leaders could not could not block that legislation from going through. And it wasn't until, ironically, in that same article talked about how the New York Times was initially like pro-Zionist under non-Jewish leadership. And then when Jewish leadership took over, they became anti, anti-Zionist, anti-Jewish state. It wasn't until after Israel was founded that they became supportive of that state again. So again, it, it, it's, it's obvious ignorant to say that Jewish people are wielding this war against, against the culture and wielding influence over all aspects of American life. However... The, many people, including what Kanye said, many people question the agenda of corporate America and Hollywood and academia. And so in that sense, if you say, well, those, the leaders of those companies are Jewish, that may be true. I don't know the exact numbers. I, I actually saw an interesting article from 2008 that said it was written by a Jewish guy, actually, LA Times. I will link to this. But basically said that, like, hell yeah, Jew, Jews uh, run industries, and you should be thankful for that because of you know the creativity they show and how they don't just play boring conservative films, things like that. I mean, it's a super anti-Semitic. <clears throat> Excuse me, just me today, so a little, a little parched. Super anti-Semitic in terms of what it says, but again, because the guy's allegedly Jewish, uh, I, I assume he just gets away with it for that. I don't really know. The guy's Jeff Stein is his name, Jeff Stein. And I will uh, pull that up. But anyway, I, I don't know who, who on that list is still a part of, who is still running media companies and things like that. <clears throat> but again, <clears throat> excuse me, the larger point here is that, again, whether or not, whether or not Jewish people, the guy's name was Joel Stein, excuse me, Joel Stein. But whether or not Jewish people are in charge of these corporations or, are, or have an evil agenda doesn't take away from the point that Hollywood, corporate America, global elites have a secular agenda A, a divisive agenda B, and a globalist agenda C, okay? So whether or not they're Jewish, whether or not they have a Jewish agenda, whatever that means, they the leaders of those organizations, the elitists and those running big tech, things like that, certainly have an agenda to change the American fabric of life. And again, secular agenda divisive agenda, globalist agenda, liberal agenda, all of those things, okay? So, again, both things can be true that many many leaders in industry are Jewish. A lot of Jewish people exceed the wealth status of, 
of non-Jewish people, just like Asians do, right? What does that mean? Well, nothing really. It's just a fact, okay? And see that <clears throat> uh, many people that run these multimedia corporations, global corporations, are Jewish. Those things can all be true without saying that it's a it's a Jewish conspiracy. But it also doesn't mean that it's it also doesn't mean there's not a globalist agenda. Meaning double negative. Meaning it still means there is a globalist agenda. Certainly a secular agenda. Certainly an agenda that aims to divide America. Okay, so <clears throat> obviously a very sensitive topic. But it, you know, again, both those things can be true. It's called nuance, Doctor Shaw, and I talk about that a lot. No one has nuance anymore. But you know it. And again, bottom line is, would Kanye be canceled if he didn't say that thing about George Floyd? Would he be canceled if he didn't wear a White Lives Matter shirt? Would he be canceled if he didn't support Trump? Probably not. And again, as the great Jason Whitlock says, A, is Kanye's form of anti-Semitism really that harmful? I would say no. It doesn't make it right, of course. I would say no, it's not that harmful. Again, as Whitlock says, you know, when the new rap album comes out, does L.A. Does the LA Times put out a thing saying that it's led to so many more killings like they did with Kanye's comments leading to more anti-Semitism? No, of course not. And B, do you think someone like Muhammad Ali would not share some of those same uh, convictions as what Kanye said? It's not worse. Ali was in the nation of Islam, right? He converted to Islam uh, and, and, and later in his life. Right, so you don't think he shared some of those views at least about those people running the global corporation and things at that time? Give me a break, right? And that, you know, he's not here. This is a small podcast, not that big of a deal, but you know, Ali, Ali's not here to, you know, we're not going to put words in his mouth. But again, are we serious thinking that Muhammad Ali, who was one of the most outspoken athletes in history, wouldn't have strong opinions on those running those organizations and things like that, whether or not they're Jewish or not? Let's not kid ourselves here. The point of Whitlock saying that was to say that th that's true courage right there, speaking out against the establishment. Going along with the establishment is not courage. Just a perfect example of this is <clears throat> LeBron James said it's quote-unquote scary AF that there was alleged increases in use of the N-word once Elon Musk uh, bought Twitter. Saying LeBron James that used the N-word on his own show, The Shop, is that not scary AF? So again, these are guys, LeBron, Kaepernick, viewed as like heroes and speaking out against the establishment, even though they're handled by their, they're, they're controlled by Twitter, controlled by big tech, controlled by Nike, controlled by China. Again, they're controlled by all these organizations that make them rich, but they're the ones we turn to to speak out against the man. Yeah, I don't think so. So it just goes to show the hypocrisy there. And again, I, Kanye says a lot of dumb stuff. You know, he, he's very meandering. I, mean, I don't look at Kanye's intellectual leader. But the point is the hypocrisy of who gets canceled. A, the point is the hypocrisy of who actually stands up for something that's different, stands up against the establishment. B, and C, to point out just the absurdity of guys like LeBron acting like they're heroes and courageous for speaking out against what's approved on Twitter. Okay. Let's pause here. <clears throat> no sponsorship, though, but... World Series Game 3 is about to end, at, or Game 4, Astros finally got a win. Going to be tied at 2. Great series so far. Let's get to some college picks here. Not many great games, um, but let's get to some here. Florida at A&M. Florida 4-4. Four and four. a and m 3-5. Lost 4 straight. Game is in College Station. Tough one here. Florida just released the D-lineman from the team. 
I'll go A&M at home. Um, picked A&M against Ole Miss. That was probably a mistake. Excuse me, it was a mistake. Ole Miss won, but A&M, I hate them. I'm so glad they failed, but I mean, Florida's hard to trust. Give me A&M at home. This post has Florida, though. <clears throat> Next one, Baylor and Oklahoma. Uh, both teams five into Oklahoma's won two in a row. Baylor's won two in a row as well. Uh, give me Oklahoma at home. This post has that also. You get some water here. Pull a Marco Rubio. Get some water. <clears throat> Texas at Kansas State. Wildcats just shellacked OK State by 48 points, 48 to 0. Texas 5, they're coming off a loss to Oklahoma State two weeks ago. Give me the Wildcats at home. This type of game, Texas wins. I'm still going to take the Wildcats, though, at home. They're a good team. Uh, Miss Post has Kansas State as well. Maryland at Wisconsin, another tough one here. Terp 6 and 2. Wisconsin 4 and 4, coming off by just blitz Purdue at home for like the 15th year in a row, or 15th time in a row, I guess. Uh, Miss Post and I both have Wisconsin at home. Wisconsin's favored by six and a half. That's really surprising to me. But give me Wisconsin at home. Maryland's not that good. Wisconsin, I think they're hitting a stride under, under their interim coach, Jim Leonard. Uh, 11 a.m. kickoff in Madison. Maryland's not ready for that. Give me Wisconsin. <clears throat> Bama LSU. This one's a tough one. Bama's 13 and a half point favorite, which really surprises me. Because, I mean, and I guess not too much. Bama, obviously, Bama, LSU struggled a bit this year. But LSU's hit their stride. They beat Florida at Florida. Beat the hell out of Old Miss at home. Jaden Daniels, mobile quarterback. He's combined for like 11 touchdowns the last two games, passing and rushing. Um, Bama always has trouble with mobile quarterbacks. I really want to pick LSU, and, I, and I'm going to do it. I, I don't know about the, the, the confidence pick them. Oh, I forgot to say Astros threw a no-hitter as well, a combined no-hitter. Of course, in baseball, you can't pitch the whole game, sadly. But a combined no-hitter for the Astros in game four. <clears throat> 5-0 win. Uh, anyway, I don't wait. Miss Post has LSU, which makes me nervous to pick LSU. But give me the Tigers. I think they're at home. Brian Kelly's a great coach. You can clown him all day, and I like to clown him too. He's a great coach. They're hitting their stride. Jaden Daniels, the quarterback that gives Alabama fits. Give me the Tigers at home. LSU, I like them. I like them a lot. Game of the week, uh, Tennessee at Georgia. Uh, Vols number one. Miss Post has Georgia. I have Georgia as well. It should be a great game. Georgia's defense not as good as last year. I do think it's still great, obviously. Tennessee's offense is great, but Georgia's defense will find a way to slow them down enough. I do think it'll be in the, in the 30s or, you know, like 31-27 type game. <clears throat> uh, but I think Georgia at home. I, I kind of get LSU vibe from 2019 for te from Tennessee with Hendon Hooker. It could be their year, but until I see Georgia lose at home, I'm going with the Bulldogs. So Miss Post and I both have the Bulldogs for that game. Okay, uh, now I'll switch to the election here. Obviously, it's Tuesday. Early voting started. Hell, early voting starts like Labor Day now in some places. No, it doesn't, but that's what it's trending. It's just like tipping, right? It's only going to get worse and worse. It's funny. Same people that complain about campaigns being too long and too expensive. <laughs> are the same ones that want more early voting. Like, do you want to see political ads in, on July 4th? I certainly don't, but that's where it's headed. Oh, you know, early voting, six months of early voting. Anyway, this is a great time of year, though. Again, freedom to vote. As I just told my class, nothing speaks like the ballot box. Nothing speaks like the ballot box. No matter how many times you try to threaten with Trump, GOP being a threat to democracy, 
If you have no better alternative, they're going to get the vote. Okay, that's the thing about Biden, too, real quick. You know, Biden was elected because he wasn't Bernie and wasn't Trump. What did they do? Run the Bernie side for his economic policy and basically be not, not, as, not as, as, as gruff as Trump, but he's certainly as divisive as Trump. Jim Crow 2.0, Republicans, ultra-maga, semi-fascist. I know Phil will get a chuckle out of that because what the hell does semi-fascist even mean? How can you be semi-fascist? Either you are or you aren't. What does that even mean, right? So again, you can't run on this theory of unity and then make speeches. Biden literally used, the, used a weeknight public address to the entire nation to say to vote Democrat because the GOP is a threat to the republic. He used that platform to criticize his political opponents. Just did it again tonight. Talked about the Republicans being a threat to democracy. Which, I'm sorry, which party, which party is a threat to democracy by saying that the other party is trying to steal elections? That sounds familiar. Where did I hear that? Oh yeah, Trump in 2020. What did Hillary just say the last week? Republicans are plotting to steal the 2024 election. She literally just said that. It's two years out. She's already plotting to say they're stealing the election. But Republicans are the ones, the only ones that are a threat to democracy and election deniers. Let's also go to this great op-ed I just read by George Will, a conservative commentator, certainly not a MAGA guy, though. He's an old-school conservative, really doesn't like Trump. That's why I wrote this article, actually. But it says how Biden and Harris should both step, step aside because Trump shouldn't win and they're not the best options. Biden said, this is a quote, and I, I will link this article as well. Quote, meeting recently with some progressive activists, Biden said his $426 billion student loan forgiveness was accomplished by, quote, a law that he had, quote, just signed, end quote. I got it passed by a vote or two, end quote, Biden said. And that's end of Biden's quote directly. And the article goes on. No, he did not. So Biden literally didn't even remember a law that wasn't passed. He said a law was passed that he signed about student loans. That's not true. So again, either he's lying outright, which, which Trump did, and that made Trump at the Antichrist, or he's that senile. I mean, what are we talking about here? It also hilariously makes fun of Harris, many things Harris. So let's go to some of our favorite Kamala Harris quotes. Okay. So here we go. That she's talking in Louisiana, she's talking about broadband. The governor and I were doing a tour of the library here and talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance of the passage of time in terms of what we need to do to lay these wires, what we need to do to create these jobs. And there is such great significance to the passage of time when we think about a day in the life of our children, end quote. What? Then she said, of course, this is a classic, we will work together and continue to work together to address these issues, to tackle these challenges, and to work together as we continue to work operating from the new norms, rules, and agreements. Now we convene to work together. She added, we will work together. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Remember, though, it's sexist to not support Kamala Harris and racist, even though she literally ended her campaign before 2020 even started. She ended her campaign in 2019, Democratic campaign. So again, unless Democratic voters are racist and sexist as well, it can't be racism and sexism. So with that backdrop, let's get some election predictions. I'll, I'll read Dr. Shaw's as well as my own. Okay. So uh, Dr. Shaw, we, I mean, he's, he's a great guy, obviously an idiot for having a fall wedding. Still a great guy, though. You know, I miss watching games with him, miss watching elections with him. I'll miss it this year. But Dr. Shaw has a Senate going 52 Republicans. He says they hold all existing seats and pick up Nevada and Georgia. I agree with that. I think Pennsylvania, Oz will win now because Betterman's tanked. The debate was horrible. I think Walker will win in Georgia. Uh, 
I think Black Salt win in Nevada. Nevada. That's that. Look at a lot of Latino votes. Latinos will continue to shift to the GOP. Ron Johnson holds on in Wisconsin. J.D. Vance wins in Ohio. I agree with that. Um, sleeper picks. Look out for New Hampshire. Look out for Washington. I don't see the GOP picking up those, but just look out for them. Washington especially is my sleeper. Look out for that that state. Parents are pissed, man. Parents are pissed about lockdowns. They're pissed about masks. They're pissed about CRT. And as, as a teacher, trust me, there's nothing worse than it in terms of you know, if, if you're on if you're on the wrong side of this, nothing worse than a pissed off parent. So watch out for Washington. Dr. Shaw says 233 Republicans for the House. I think that's a gain of 21. Uh, I'll say more than that. I'm not sure if that is 21, but I'll say I'll say at least 30, 30 gains. Now they it won't be as much as it was because they gained some in 2020, but I'll say at least 30 gains to the GOP. All they need is all they need is six to get the majority. So. I'll say uh, at least 30, though, for the GOP. Certainly, the GOP takes the House. That's not a bold take at all. Um, so here's here's Dr. Shaw's governor predictions. Uh, Republicans pick up Oregon, Nevada, Kansas, and Wisconsin. Uh, I don't know much about Nevada, Kansas, or Wisconsin. I haven't followed those campaigns that closely. I know Nevada, the, the sheriff, Joe Lombardo, he seems to be bringing in a lot of new voters, populist-type voters, so that should help. I know Oregon hasn't voted for GOP governor since 1982, Again, think about this. The party that's allegedly a threat to democracy and extremists is going to elect a Republican in Oregon. Oregon. So again, you think about how the Democrats won in 2020, barely won, lost seats in the House, won the Senate because of Trump's idiocy and, and barely won the White House, right? They won on this mandate, generational change. Republicans or voters are leaving the Republican extremism behind. Not only, not only are they going to lose the voters they had in 2020, they're losing more voters in blue states. Oregon is on the, about to elect the GOP governor. Oregon. Uh, Democrats pick up Massachusetts and Maryland. Dr. Shaw says, again, I agree with that. I mean, those are blue states. Uh, Republican governors, Trumpy candidates in both those states, they're not going to win. So those are pretty obvious. Uh, Dr. Shaw has Whitmer winning in Michigan. Uh, I, I, just to be different, I'll say Tudor Dixon will win. I think Real Clear Politics has has Dixon winning, at least they had her winning as of Monday on Halloween. Um, so I'll say Dixon will win. It's an upset here. This is, as an aside, another another nauseating point from the Washington Post. When they were doing their predictions, you can like make predictions and see how you do with their alleged experts. Most had Whitmer winning, obviously. But one of the guys said, oh, she did a great job during COVID. She handled the lockdown so well, handled a, an alleged kidnapping plot, an assassination attempt. They didn't say alleged. I did. And then also, she said, handled uh, handled lockdown protests so well. So first off, clearly not a good job with schools being shut down and nursing homes because, or, and, and COVID because they had their top 10 in deaths and they were sending infected, nurse, infected COVID patients back into nursing homes. Real smart there. Okay. Number one. Number two, the kidnapping attempt obviously is a serious thing, but the really much more to do about nothing than not because more than half of the people charged didn't get convicted. Okay, so obviously it wasn't really what they what it was how it started off. Okay, assassination attempt. I don't know about that. I, you know that could be true. I'm sure it's dramatized. Obviously, it's a serious thing, but again, uh, it, it it wasn't what it was made out to be. And then of course the lockdown protests. I mean, first off, that's just a terrible take anyway because that didn't affect her at all. B, it's. Even if you're, no matter how political you are, it's it's literally, it doesn't make any sense to say that like 
racial justice protests are not damaging and are promoted, but lockdown protests are immoral. I mean, it's, it's not even possible. I don't know how you could reconcile those two things in your mind. Again, democratic uh, um, word shape-shifting, if, if you will. But, you know, independent of that, the lockdown protests were not, uh, were not a difficult thing for women to handle because – What's she going to do, A, and B, that just shows they don't like her policies. Who cares? How? Anyway, not the point, but bottom line is terrible analysis. That's nothing new, though. Uh, New York, I really want to pick Zeldin, GOP candidate in New York, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go with Adam and, and, and say that New York will stay blue. I do think so. A lot closer than experts think, though, or a lot closer than it should be, just like New Jersey last year. And again, that just goes to show how piss poor Democratic policies have been. New York might go red. New York. Statewide candidate hasn't run in, hasn't won in twenty years. Okay, literally in the debate, Helkel said, "I don't know why that's so important to you." In reference to crime, to her opponent Lee Zeldin, "I don't know why that's so important to you." Think about saying that to somebody when crime is up in her city. She also this week said that quote, "It's master manipulation." End quote by Republicans to say that blue states, blue states, and blue cities are more dangerous than red states and red cities, even though a crime is up nationwide, of course. But major cities is where it's soaring. And, of course, 11 of the top 15 are run by Democrats. Shocking. So, again, typical liberal arrogance, typical racism to have a white person lecture others on what the effects of crime or what the effects are not of crime. A joke. But I think she will win barely because of sure numbers, right? Arizona, uh, I do think Democrats will win the Senate in Arizona, just like Dr. Scholl does. I don't think Masters can make enough of a push. And Mark Kelly's really, he's he's dialed back his rhetoric a bit, despite his voting record with Biden. Voters, you know, don't always remember the facts, as we know. So I think Mark Kelly will win. That will stay blue. Uh, Governor's race, though, is definitely over. Carrie Lake will win that. She's run a beautiful campaign. This is a Dr. Scholl quote here. Uh, Probably the closest thing we've seen to the next Trump from her TV experience, the fact that she was Democrat fairly recently, end quote. Quote continues, she's nuts, but she's good at making people not realize it. I love Carrie Lake. I think she's a fighter. I mean, I don't agree with all of her takes, obviously, but I think she she's a great candidate. She's done a great campaign. Her opponent is terrible. And, of course, ultimate irony, Democrats, they they lifted up these alleged threats to democracy in their, pri- in their Republican primaries, have an easier time to beat them in the campaign. So, again, if a Democrat ever tells you, Oh, GOP candidates are extremists. They're, they want to turn us into fascists. Ask them, say, if that's the case, then why did Democrats promote that opponent in the GOP primary? They'll probably look at you sideways. They don't know that because they watch MSNBC, A. Or B, they're just like, oh, well, they just, you know, they wanted to win. And it's like, okay, that may be true. That's fine. But that you can't say that so-and-so is a threat to democracy and it's the end of the world if they win while also trying to lift them up so you can beat them. Because obviously, either you're, not, either you're not concerned about the end of the world, or it's not true if you're just trying to find an easier way to win, and you're promoting them. Okay, so those are our predictions, though. Again, Dr. Shaw and I pretty much agree. Uh, one difference in the Senate, I would say, would be Arizona. Um, but also, I, I do think Masters will lose as of now. But... That wouldn't surprise me at all. My upset, as I said, Washington, New Hampshire. I don't really have any Republican upset losses. Uh, I guess I'd say Wisconsin, but Mandela Barnes is horrible. Voters see that. I mean, of course, in the Washington Post today, someone said Johnson's campaign has uh, 
vitriol and racism. Yeah, because talking about a guy wearing an abolished ice shirt is racist. But again, all the, the, the rhetoric of the Democrats, people don't listen to it. And they, they really didn't before. They definitely don't now. When they see the crime that's going on, when they see idiots saying defund the police and abolish ICE, and they see there's no southern border, they're not going to believe you that it's racism to want a southern border. Okay, and again, if someone ever told me I was racist, worried about crime, I would, I would ask them, say, okay, so was it racist to be concerned more with the victims than the criminals? They'd be like, well, that's well, racist to assume that black people are victims of crime. Even though literally the whole argument for like these social justice programs is that black people are in predominantly neighborhoods that are poor off and have more crime. But anyway, again, this stuff falls flat. Trump's not on the ballot. We can talk about his candidacy in 2024 later. He probably shouldn't run. Remains to be seen. I'm sure he will. But Trump's not on the ballot. Inflation's 8.6%. Crime's up. COVID's over. No thanks to the Democrats, but COVID's over. So, I mean, it, it's really just a wrap. I'm not worried at all. No matter how allegedly poor the GOP candidates are, party in power always loses seats. Biden's terrible. I, it's a little bit lower now, but back in the spring, 75% of people said the country's on the wrong track. 75% said the country is on the wrong track. Think about that. How bad do you have to be to have 75% of people saying the country's on the wrong track? Literally everything Biden touched has gotten worse. The economy, crime, the border, uh, optimism. Even, I mean, the stock market has tanked. My Roth IRA has lost value since Biden took office. Shocking. Gas prices soaring. Groceries soaring. I mean, think about that. Think about that. And then they say, oh, just Republicans threat to democracy. And as I've said since the summer, even if that's the case, there's a reason why people vote for extremists in other countries. Because if what you're giving them is not good and not what they want, they're going to vote for anything else. So not that I believe Republicans are a threat to democracy, but they're certainly going to they're certainly going to get more support if what they if what voters have right now is not working. Okay. Uh, NFL picks here. Uh, let's start with game of the week: Rams, Bucks, nationally televised. Every market will get it, even though it's the afternoon slot, four twenty-five. No other games at that time that are competing with it. Uh, both teams need a win. I'm on the Bucks. I think they'll win at home. Rams looked horrible last week. I think they're done. My Super Bowl pick not looking that great. Uh, but Miss Post has the Bucks as well. Colts, Patriots, I already said I'm done with the Colts. I have the Patriots, so does Miss Post. Uh, Sunday night, Titans at Chiefs. My boy Steve thinks the Chiefs will lose because they lo- usually lose to the Titans. That is true, but that game's usually in Tennessee that they lose, even the Chiefs at home in prime time. Titans have won five straight, but they haven't played the Chiefs offense. Yeah, give me the Chiefs all day. Miss um, Post has the Chiefs as well. Lastly, Monday night football, Ravens at Saints. Ravens have won two straight. Saints. Coming off a big win over the Raiders. Shut them out at home. Uh, give me the Saints at home. Give me the Saints at home. Ravens are due for a loss. Saints are a weird team. They're hard to predict. Uh, I think they should get Jarvis Landry back. Possibly Michael Thomas. Hopefully Marshawn Lattimore. But give me the Saints at home. Mainly because Ravens are due for a loss. Uh, Miss Post, though, does have the Ravens. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, also a rivalry football game in our undisclosed location this weekend. The playoff game between two city rivals. Should be a great one. Um, the team I do not coach at won last time big. 
but the team I coach at, the school I coach at, rather, they're healthier this year. Their best player is a lot healthier at the running back position. Uh, so I'm going to go with them to win. Obviously, I picked them anyway, but should be a great game. And basketball starts next week. Like I said, we'll talk about that a little bit next week when we review the election and review uh, NFL midseason check. Helpful hint, though, I did not pick Indiana to win the Big Ten. I think they'll be good, just can't trust them. It's hard to play with expectations, especially when you never won before. So I can't pick Indiana to win the Big Ten. I got Illinois winning the Big Ten, mainly out of respect to them and the new guys they have. But it certainly should be Indiana to lose. We'll see. But it's a great time of year. Like I said, enjoy voting. Make sure you get out and vote. Uh, Spread this podcast around to your friends. And uh, enjoy the weekend. Go Bucks, as always. Uh, Go Tigers, LSU. Let's hope they get the win. Oh, I like LSU, but obviously if Bama goes down again, always great to see Bama go down. So see you guys later. Send us your election predictions at Coach Thomas 2021. Goodbye.